I feel like I've set myself up now to take one for the Eurovision community by reading these books and going, ugh. Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode 162 for the week of June 27th, 2022. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about Swedish culture, courtesy of ABBA's Voyage and Martin Osterdahl's Max Anger, with our special guest, Dude Pois. How's it going, Ben? Uh, you know, all things considered, pretty good. Good, good. We're getting a little bit more clarity on where Eurovision will be next year. We know that it won't be in Ukraine. That was announced a week and a half ago at this point. Mm-hmm. That, uh, yeah, the EBU, after soliciting information from the Ukrainian broadcaster, decided that they will not be able to host next year's competition. They also released a follow-up statement last week to kind of specify the reasons why, because there was a lot of uh, back and forth on Twitter and among other people in the press of the implications of this decision. I think the EBU is making the right call on this one. What, what, What do you think? I appreciated the follow-up statement. It made very clear a lot of the factors that I had assumed were behind the decision. Calling out, hey, at least 10,000 people are usually accredited to work on this. 30,000 fans are expected to travel to the contest. So we know people are going to attend this event. It is our job to keep them safe. This is what we can do to keep them safe. I think back to 2017 when Kiev hosted the contest, and I felt safe while I was there, but there was always this kind of feeling in the background of something could happen any minute. And I mean, granted, that can happen at any large scale event. But I mean, tensions were still tense at that time. When you got to the venue, you went through an initial security check and ticket check. Then you walked about a mile and got to the actual entrance to the venue, did another security check, had another ticket check uh, before you were allowed in. And I don't think that's going to be enough if it were to be held in Ukraine this coming year. The latest statement from the EBU also, I thought, wisely pointed out, uh, there are no major international concert tours visiting Ukraine throughout 2023. Yeah, I thought that was a really helpful detail to add in there. It is a really unfortunate situation, but with an event of this scale, they are behind schedule before they even know who the winner is. Yes. that, that, That is the case. And... They can't wait to see how things play out. Like they, The ball has to be rolling now. If they try to wait until August, September to try to figure out where this thing is going to be held, it's just going to be chaos. Thinking about this previous year is that we kind of didn't really know where things were going to be held until like September, October. And it was, if you look at a bunch of the news, kind of chaotic. They can't have a situation where we're not going to know the venue until like three weeks out, just due to an ongoing war. Way too many what-ifs associated with this. That is is a very good way to put it. There's too many what-ifs. There's so much just sort of insurance, both of performers, of press, of people working on the event, of of venues, uh, of equipment going into this, that like it just makes sense to just sort of take it off the table now and focus on making the best possible event next year. Because Ukraine will not be able to host... 
the contest is being offered to this year's runner-up, which is the UK, which I think is the most unexpected turn of events based on what happened at the end of 2021. Uh (laughs) Yeah, like I I did not have the UK potentially hosting things in 2023 as uh, anywhere on my bingo card. Name a city in the UK they have probably expressed interest in holding next year's contest. One list that I found has 20 different locations that have expressed interest in at least bidding for the contest. If that actually happens, uh, we'll see. Because I th- like Italy had a lot of people that expressed interest in bidding and then o- only received a handful of bids from that group. But it's still a lot of places and like even a couple that I've not heard of, which is like, oh, OK, uh, like everybody really, really wants this. Of the bids that I have seen news about, there's something very funny to me about the potential for this to be in Glasgow at the arena used as the arena in the Eurovision movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the elves went way too far this yeah, time. Yeah, it's just like, I'm sort of rooting for that bid for, for, for elves reasons. I think Scotland could be a lot of fun. I would like to go to Scotland, so... I've been to London. I'd I'd like to see uh, other parts of the UK. No timeline yet on when any of this will be decided, what the bid process will be. I don't even recall seeing if the BBC officially confirmed that they are accepting this invitation. There's a lot of chatter happening and like there has not been any sort of official, yes, the BBC is hosting this next year. We are going like three steps beyond and we are already discussing like who's going to host. It's like, guys, let's one step at a time, especially because it looks like Brussels might also be in the mix. Yeah, which makes no sense to me whatsoever, because there were a whole bunch of countries that expressed interest of hosting if Ukraine were unable to host. But like Brussels came out with this last week. So like they missed that first wave of offering. If you look at the details, it actually does make a little bit of sense to me in that Brussels is the headquarters of the European Union. If the bid is for Brussels, it is sort of a larger European Union bid in solidarity with what is going on in Ukraine right now. Ugh, there's another can of worms that... Ugh. Yeah. Europe and EU are two separate things. Eurovision, EU, those are separate things. Eurovision and Europe, kind of separate things. High Australia, high Israel. I don't think that is the approach. I think the approach is like, well, Brussels is centrally located and has a large airport. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like they should, they should be highlighting that and they should be highlighting like the, that like one of the venues in contention if Brussels were to get it is where they hosted the live final of... The most recent season of Demol. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I was I was looking at the list. I'm like, there can't be that many Palais Twelves in in Brussels. Oh goodness. So yeah, I mean, it, it's already been a busy summer, and I'm just kind of glad that this news dropped during our off week, so we had the opportunity to see this kind of play out before having to talk about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just right now, it is supposed to be quiet times. So just like any time we get like a. A major thing like this, it's been just very nice to have like an additional week to just go, okay, but like, let's, let's see where this is in like seven days. Also an opportunity for everybody to calm down. <laughs> also on the Ukraine front, uh, Kalush Orchestra and Goa performed at Glastonbury this past weekend. That's a pretty good gig for anybody. That is a, a massive gig. And the response appears to have been just very positive, which like, having heard both of those groups, yes. I actually have some friends that are over in the UK right now. And they weren't going to Glastonbury, but they were going to one of Goa's shows because they are now finally on tour. They had to keep postponing the tour from last year. And they're w- working their way through the UK as we speak. At least there's some good news on, on the Ukraine side of things. Going into other stuff that has happened related to this year's contest, they released 
most of the live-to-tape performances. And rather than doing it as two specials like they did last year, they just released two to three YouTube videos a day for about a week and a half. Yeah, they released them in semifinal running order and then uh, the big five. Well, three of the big five. Did you get a chance to watch any of the live-to-tapes? I was checking in on them as they dropped every day. I was initially intrigued, but then it became very clear that because we had so many national finals this year, a lot of the live tapes were, and for you know very smart reasons, just sort of like taped five minutes after the national final was done. For practical reasons, I like the idea of the live to tape. Sharing them with the public, I can kind of understand why a number of the broadcasters are just like, nah, we're not going to participate this year for whatever reason. Like, uh, songs getting updated although even then like that that was one of the interesting ones to see like israel should had theirs uh yes broadcast. like that was very clearly after x factor before they had done the revamp of the song yeah so it just kind of had me wondering oh what would have happened if the live to tape version had to be used and it's like oh they did that whole revamp for nothing and yeah so that's interesting but not enough to really kind of justify this whole exercise but also just feels like it could have existed in a paragraph of a, of a larger article detailing like the differences between the live to tapes and what we saw i do not feel like my experience was enriched by having watched it yeah i mean if anything it kind of confirmed a few things for me like albania's live to tape performance was about as messy as the actual live performance like it was just chaos and it's like okay i don't think albania was going to qualify we also found out that they only had like one take instead of three takes uh at least that that was uh what we learned from latvia's performance because lead singer of Sidizani tripped on the treadmill in that performance it's like oh why did they keep this one i i thought that they had a couple of other takes and it's like oh did it, like an anvil fall on somebody in one of the other takes and they couldn't use that or <laughs> what mm-hmm. was going on but yeah apparently they only had the one take to get it right at least they didn't have to use it so that that's good news i think the way that they deployed them this year was correct in that I, this did not need to be a special hey let's all, let's watch all these on saturday because i i'm pretty sure people would have tuned out midway through i think that's right and i mean there were just enough countries that declined to participate that it would have felt kind of empty mm-hmm. i think or at least there would have been some sizable gaps in the running order so i guess if they wanted to do this next year this is definitely the way they should go about it but Unless there are like major changes from version A to version B, I don't know if they necessarily need to release these anymore. Yeah. My thirst for these has been slaked. If an individual nation wants to like drop that, because I think Poland had like dropped theirs real early, just like, here, we, sh- we showed it on the news. Here's what we had prepared. I think that makes the most sense. If the broadcaster wants to share it, let them share it. It shouldn't have to go through the EBU. I understand if, why EBU would want to have like a programming stake in this but i mean if they're just dropping them on youtube anyway just just let the broadcasters do it and you can like reblog it or whatever yeah so also on our screens this summer ben have you been watching america's got talent i have not (laughs) (laughs) i have not either i only watch it when the blogs point out that hey this eurovision adjacent person was on this summer's eurovision adjacent person there could be more i kind of doubt it there's usually only one is poland's sarah james sarah was the runner-up at last year's junior eurovision song contest she auditioned and got the golden buzzer which is where one of the judges or terry cruz the host runs up and hits a golden buzzer 
thingy and then everybody explodes into confetti and everything's in, in slow motion and dramatic music plays that's the show uh mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah i mean she gave a really good performance and i would be shocked if she is not representing poland uh let's see i think she said she's 13 right now so like before 2030 if she has not represented poland at least once something has gone horribly wrong yeah yeah so (laughs) uh oh yeah and then the golden buzzer also means that she gets to automatically go to the next round or two rounds i i don't know i again it's america's got talent i yeah There are a couple different, like, either British quiz shows or American reality programs where I do just need to see a visual representation of the round structure, because I am currently going through the remainder of the last season of Only Connect. I'm seeing teams that I've seen before, and then, like, the the game will be over, and like, oh, but you still have, like, two more matches. I'm like, okay, but I need a flow chart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They they tried to explain it once. I think there's a secondary bracket. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's fine. I, it, I don't think America's Got Talent is quite that complicated, but it is one of those things just like, Ugh, I guess I have to set up a Google alert now. So, <laughs> so best of luck to Sarah James. Yeah. I mean, she's a, she's a really good singer. I, I, I think she'll do well. She is a good singer. If she's been a Junior Eurovision contestant, knowing what I know of America's Got Talent, Child with Incredible Voice does very well. Although it was really weird, like, at least in the version of the video I saw, I don't know if it was edited from the broadcast version, they made it seem like she had never been on a stage before. <laughs> it's just like, uh, no, I, we I, don't I think need, she's done why, this once or twice. We don't need yeah. this story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, it's a performing child. They have been on many stages. So I think that gets us caught up on what's been happening the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's a lot fuller than I would expect uh, at the end of June, but here we are. So. Here we are. <laughs> Since it is the end of June, it's midsummer season. It's kind of a big deal in Swedish culture. At Dudepoint from Twitter has been posting a lot recently about Swedish adjacent things, which I think was a coincidence. I mean, it, it was a coincidence. And I was like, hello, do you want to talk about it on our podcast? Yeah, and that includes Abba Voyage and reading uh, two books that were written by the contest's current executive supervisor, Martin Osterdahl, Ask No Mercy and Ten Swedes Must Die, which are both part of the Max Anger thriller series. We talked with Dudois about it. Ben, you read both of the books. I got through most of the first one. It's fine. It's book club. We had wine. Since this is kind of a book club type discussion, it's going to get a little spoilery. We will be talking about details from both of the books. We're also talking about Abba Voyage. So if you have tickets or you're planning on seeing it and you want to be fully surprised, you might want to check the timestamps. They're in the show notes for this episode. Hop around and listen at your peril. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to the show, dude. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to join and talk about these things. They've been keeping me going in the off season. Yeah, I got to find those activities where we can. How was your Eurovision experience this year? My Eurovision experience this year was fantastic. I attended both jury semifinal shows and the ability to see Achille Lauro live Mm -hmm. was um, mind blowing. (laughs) And seeing the entire arena get behind Achille Lauro was also mind-blowing so well worth the trip Turin was amazing and it was a very good Eurovision experience how about yours 
I was at the same shows. We actually ran into each other on the tram ride back at one point, which was uh, kind of hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and seeing which acts the crowd really getting behind, which acts underwhelmed in the room. Yeah, it was a delightful time. From the Achille Loro side of things, like just watching in the germ and go and having just going on the roller coaster of this isn't going to co- qualify to this is going to qualify. Oh, my God, it's going to qualify. Uh, and then just watching what actually happened. I still am kind of in shock because if a person can't qualify with a song about strippers that has extensive fireworks, a kiss with boss doms and a mechanical bull, like what can you qualify with? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What 75% of content were you able to focus on uh, on the stage? Because I had a very tough time <laughs> seeing everything that was going on at once. So. I, I think I was kind of hyperventilating at that point. It was definitely an out-of-body religious experience. I'm very glad that it's televised so I can watch it later and go, oh, okay, I experienced that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I I mean I'm mostly just sad that I was robbed of the opportunity on the Saturday of the grand final to just tweet most serene republic my ass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to kind of bring it into what our main topic is today. We are approaching Midsommar, which is a celebration of the summer solstice. It's celebrated in several countries, but it's a particularly big deal in Sweden. And dude, you went to the ABBA Voyage show recently. Is that right? That That is right. So the ABBA Voyage Arena opened in May in East London, and I went to the ABBA show with the Avatars, the computer-generated versions of ABBA to see a 90-minute performance. It was a magical experience. (laughs) So my very first question about this is, what are you looking at during this performance? Because like, I I think of like the the hologram of Tupac at Coachella and that one time that Celine Dion sang with Elvis on the American Idol stage. It seems like it's an augmented reality thing, but I assume the audience is looking at something so what what is it that you are seeing yeah I, I too was not quite sure what to expect i was referencing in my mind kanye west bringing robert kardashian to life for kim kardashian's birthday oh, and i forgot about that <laughs> just all of the previous like just just the history of holograms in, in recent development is just real dark but this is it's definitely not hologram experience there's actually a live band on stage as well playing to the side and they get their moments during the concert and then abba references that it's not real but it seems very very deeply real and then at some points they play with the technology and you know it's not real they all got gussied up in motion capture suits Holograms seem fuzzy. This is crystal clear. They've done amazing detailing. You can see the separate hair textures, the separate clothing textures. My better half, who works in the gaming industry, thought it looked very good except for the eyes, which apparently don't render as well. But it's they look really lifelike. Wow. So... But you're seeing them on the stage, right? You're not watching this on a monitor or anything, right? You're seeing them on the stage doing dance moves. And every song has a little bit of a different setup. So, you know, the first song, they're all there. And Bjorn has a guitar and Benny's behind a piano and Agnetha and Annie Fried are singing. And it's 
a projection on a screen, but it looks amazing. And they also have giant screens along the side, so they'll do close-ups like they would at a real concert. <laughs> and you really cannot tell that it is not oh, it, them. Wow. It, it looks it it's it's very very lifelike. I have read a few of the reviews of the initial shows, and everybody is just kind of blown away. It's timed like a real gig. There's the fake costume change. I was going to ask about that, if they they had to leave the stage momentarily for whatever reason. (laughs) They do do that. They have fake costume changes. They throw it over to their band members at one point who take the stage and do a performance. It's really impressive. They're very like, don't give it away. But Mm -hmm. all I can say is there's nothing to give away. They look amazing and everybody should see it. And I'm still trying to figure out days later how they managed to do it. Oh, wow. It just sounds so wild. Everybody that I've seen on Twitter uh, who have seen it, uh, mainly through the EuroWhat account, there are a lot of ABBA fans there for some reason. <laughs> surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah, like they, they've just been over the moon about it. It's hyper-realistic. But then as Ben was talking about, it also feels like a concert. There's a certain rhythm to it. They've got the songs that build you up, the songs that make you cry. It's a show, but it's a purpose-built arena. So it also feels amazing. We we all talked about the lighting at Turin and how some of the lighting was amazing. It's better than the lighting at Turin. So Mm. it's a whole kind of arena experience with the lighting. The views are excellent. I was down in the dance floor area, but it didn't feel crowded. People weren't packed in. So it's about as good of a concert experience as you can have, as well as being a weird experience seeing ABBA. I cannot recommend it highly enough. My in-laws mentioned, oh yeah, we we might like to see that. And I'm like, oh, we're definitely going to see it. Um, because yeah. Now I want to go back, <laughs> see it from a different angle, get seated seats this time. It It is something that just needs to be experienced. And I really hope it it becomes a fixture in London with people going to see ABBA as a great night out. The crowd was also very interesting. It was a mix of people. So you had people who had seen ABBA the first time around mixed with people in their 20s who were doing ABBA cosplay mixed with little kids running around. It was it was a really nice experience. I have been very tempted to try and get tickets, but it also sounds like they have built this arena in a way where once the show is done in London, they can potentially move it to other cities. That is true. It's been called a flat pack arena. So um, like Ikea, they could just pick it up yeah. and <laughs> move it around the world. But I don't know where Ikea's like, <laughs> it's, it's just like, where is the where is the Ikea tie in on like the flat pack arena? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to wait. I'm really lucky that it came to my city, but I wouldn't want to wait for it to come to my city. It's worth a trip to London. And I'm not just saying that because I think London is awesome. It really is worth a trip mm-hmm. to London. But I got off the metro system. There's a big station directly across the street from the ABBA arena. So it's not like you can miss it. And I stopped to take a photo. And the woman next to me started asking, are you going to ABBA? And she had come in from Germany. There are people there from Sweden. People are coming from all over the world for this already. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So going from what sounds like an extremely <laughs> joyful experience to, um, I don't know, I guess I'm tipping my yes, hand elsewhere in, the, in yeah. engaging with Swedish culture <laughs> with yeah. slight English translation. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> ben, would you like to introduce this? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. So, Dude Pois, why did you start reading the Max Anger books? 
because I'm a masochist, first of all, <laughs> they're written by the executive supervisor. So Mr. You're Good to Go apparently has a background <laughs> of writing thriller genre novels, two of which are now out in English translation. And I believe a third is coming. My main reaction after I finished the second one was like, thank God they haven't translated the third one yet. And you encountered this in what I would expect to be the ideal environment. You read Ask No Mercy and Ten Swedes Must Die in an airport setting. Oh, yeah. No, I read both of these like on a flight to, to and from Denver. This is absolutely the sort of book that is on sale in an airport bookstore. Just yes. sort of just sort of like a thriller, kind of like a spy element. It's like this is absolutely something you would pick up along with like a water bottle that is somehow five dollars. Just the world's most expensive sandwich, and it's not even good. It's very uh, much Stig Larson meets Dan Brown. Yes. Um, with a little bit of like Bill O'Reilly alternative history thrown in. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Halfway through reading the second book, I had the thought of is writing about Russia for Sweden what writing about World War II is for just like American dads? <laughs> But he is, he's totally an American dad. The first one takes place in 1996. The second one takes place in 2000. And yet key characters in both of them are old men from the Second World War, both of whom managed to really beat up Max Anger, who is in his 20s and a trained combat diver. I don't understand it. Um, no, no, no. It does not add up the more you think about it. Just talking about the book that takes place in 1996. It was it was written in 2016. The bad guy is named Lazarev, and there's events that take place in 1944. Martin, you can't just take stuff from work. I was just waiting for like a weapons specialist named Dammy M. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a whole subplot in the book involving Telia, who was the sponsor of Eurovisions. They sponsored Helsinki. They sponsored Malmo. So he's essentially also writing about a Eurovision sponsor. Oh God, I haven't. Even, I didn't even notice that. I do want to give kudos to Martin for apparently being able to carve out the time to write two thriller novels while also running Swedish television. He's good at time management. Yeah. I don't know whether I can say he's good at writing, but he's good at time management. Do we want to talk about who Max Anger is aside from, I, I feel like Martin Osterdahl I don't know. He studied in Russia in the 1990s. So I feel like a little bit of Martin is in the Max Anger character. But yes, I would buy that. Just like I, I, I have had a mental image of Max Anger just having like permanent five o'clock shadow and one of those low gravelly voices and just sort of constantly carrying a large novelty coffee mug that says, don't talk to me until I've had my benzos. Oh, you're going to be in for a surprise when you click on the link because it uh, has been adapted into a TV series, which aired on Australia's SBS fairly recently. I presume it started as a series on Swedish television and then available in other markets. It's very much not the case in the television show. Max Anger looks a little bit like a bunny rabbit. Like he's got really <laughs> big eyes. He's he's like the Swedish version of Riz Ahmed, I would say. I started watching the television show and then I had to stop because people started playing chess. And I was like, this is too on the nose. I cannot take any more of these cliched like Cold War things. I've got a chess game of diplomacy going on. I, 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 I had to stop. Just a, just a note. So we have two kind of average airport thriller books and yet somehow they get made into a television series like martin osterdahl is really using his connections there 
because I didn't think there was anything compelling enough to make these into a television show. I think structurally it, it yeah, like works. It, it, it's it, the sort yeah. of thing where, where I, I assume that they had purchased like the characters and we're going to do something different than the actual books with them. But it sounds like, nope, they're just adapting the books. Yeah. Again, um, my taking one for the team does not go that far. I tried and I've tapped out. So if anybody has seen the television show, let us know. Yeah. 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 Like I, I actually did not finish the first book it reached the point where stalin entered the picture and like one of the characters is just like oh he's like the son that stalin never had even though stalin had two sons and it reminded me of an episode of the tick where the terror comes back from obscurity and one of his henchmen is a stalin impersonator so i dug up that episode on youtube and watched it and really enjoyed myself it's a long time since i've seen that episode it's also kind of weird reading it in the current moment that we're in because world war ii is a blind spot in my history knowledge and particularly the relationship between sweden and russia finland and russia and not really knowing how deep those waters are particularly with all the stuff with nato happening right now it's just like oh okay this is at least providing a little bit of helpful context even if it is like super super cliche it has that going for it one of the notes I jotted down is, you know, we have Max Anger, the main character, who's a um, ex-combat diver for the Swedish Navy. And in the first book, like this is supposed to be our sympathetic hero. He clubs a baby seal mm-hmm. in a flashback. And then he also goes to a hospital and tries to shake a dying old man awake. And he's apparently addicted to Xanax which seems really overblown there's like a lot does martin is he drawing from personal experience is there something we need to know about his relationship with xanax because there's a lot of benzodiazepine references in here when he should just be going to see a psychiatrist for what is clearly ptsd men will literally club a seal instead of going to therapy oh no (laughs) Uh, yep 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 Yep. Yep. It's everybody in this Swedish island where he grew up uh, yep. apparently clubs a seal rather than go to therapy. It's awful. Book one, I read it. I was like, all right, it's okay. I can see where he was going with it. Book two is one of the worst books I've ever read in my life. Oh, really? Um, yeah. It's, but after book one, I was like, I don't particularly want to spend more time in the Max Anger universe. Yeah. Um, but book two just ratcheted up all the the things which made it just it went in the wrong direction so it's called 10 swedes must die only five swedes die but 118 russians and an unnamed number of latvians die there is a lot of death and there's also a lot of torture porn like i didn't really need a description of a pencil going into some guy's eyeball um yeah, I, I came away from book two going, does Martin Osterdahl have something against Latvia as a country? This book centers around a Latvian who wants to get revenge for activities that Sweden carried out during the Second World War. They put Nazis, Latvian Nazis, who fought with the Germans, again, we're talking Nazis, in a camp before deporting them to the Soviet Union. And I feel like the book is saying Sweden did a bad thing by deporting Nazis to the Soviet Union. 
I mean, part of it was just like, by the time I hit like two thirds of the book, I'm just like, I'm just going to power skim through the rest because I no longer care. I do not want to engage with this book series anymore. But also I have no clue what happened, what fully happened with Pashi at the end. That's supposed to be like the major relationship. It was just such a weird, confusing note to end on. So many Latvians and Russians died in the book. Yeah, but we're only focusing on the Swedes. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because they're the only ones with an interesting death because they get tortured and have pagan symbols carved into them. It, it was... It was really unpleasant. The first book was bad. I did not appreciate the descriptions of Pashi, who gets kidnapped at the very beginning of the book, and then all we see is her being tortured for the rest of the book, being lowered into a bacterial soup, or a woman who got chained to a pipe and had rats eat her alive. Like, this is what you're getting in the first book. And then the second book, just like, oh, let's ratchet that up. And the best thing is he dedicated the second book to his mother. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is it the worst book I have read for talking about on the show? No, that that honor still goes to like the book that I read last time we did book club. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I think this book met my expectations in that I knew it was going to be a spy thriller airport novel type situation, possibly like Da Vinci Code, where there are chapters that are a paragraph long. (laughs) But there just was not much artfulness to what was going on. It it was very much like a sequence of events. One of the things that I did appreciate, and I think this may speak to how Martin was able to multitask, where it's kind of done in like journal style, where it's just like, all right, these are all of the events that happened on Monday. As the events are going on, I'm just like, oh God, how much longer is is this? And it's like, okay, it seems to be about dinner time at this part of the story. Cool. Almost done with this section. (laughs) But (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like this is this is very much not for me, but I I think for who it's for, they'll probably enjoy it. Like I enjoy genre fiction and I enjoy spy thrillers, but I feel like Martin Osterdahl sat down and he was like, okay, I've got to set up my characters. Sarah Carlson, she's a Polish linguist who's a cigar smoking lesbian. Great. Mm. Yeah. And then like those are the plot points he hits. And every time we read about her, they'll mention something about her being a Polish cigar smoking lesbian. And it's kind of like, yep, we got it. Is there anything more to her? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing just like a, a lotto cage just full of the bingo balls. This is when he was when he was developing the characters. Polish likes to smoke cigars. Lesbian. Yes, exactly. Like and and I think I mean that's his way of creating fully fledged female characters, but it's really not great. Pashi, who is the main love interest for Max Anger, gets kidnapped in the first book and spends the first book waiting to be rescued. In the second book, she's doing fertility treatments. The descriptions of her wanting to have a child were just repellent. There's one part of the book where she talks about the only path to a better future for humankind was to give more power to women. The half of humankind tasked with reproduction had an understanding of life. The other half of humankind did not. And I wanted to vomit. I was like, this is, Mm -hmm. it's, it's. mm." Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. All right, t- taking taking that off the shopping list. Good lord. Okay. Uh- <laughs> yeah, no, you you do not need to read this book, Mike. Please save yourself. Do not read Ten Sweets Must Die. Yes. Oh. 
but that that's such a good title. Like, yes, <laughs> when, yes, when, it when, is. When, when Martin was announced as uh, the new executive supervisor, looking into his background, it's like, oh, he's written a couple of books. One of them's called Ten Sweets Must Die." That sounds fun, right? But I assumed it was like a list of grievances against like Christopher Bjorkman. Yeah, <laughs> like that would be fun—a murder mystery set at a Melfest. People get killed throughout the six weeks of competition, and instead. <laughs> It's Latvian Nazis who are doing the killing. Someone please write me like a nice, like cozy mystery taking place at, at Melfest. Well, not not at Melfest. There's probably some sort of copyright things, but like Swedish music competition. Yeah, whatever the Swedish version of the Aileen competition would be, yeah. use that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're only there for three minutes of the total runtime. So <laughs> we're only yeah, we're only there because the main character loses their virginity. Uh, so. I, I think what I'm hearing is you will probably not be checking out the third book when it gets translated. I, I said it before and I said it again. I'm so happy it's not translated now because I All because right. I probably would have tried to say, let's read the trilogy. And that, that yes. would have been a bad idea. <laughs> Honestly, um, if it had been available, I would have done the thing that most people do with book club, which is not actually read the book and just show up with wine. That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> wine would be preferable over these two books. Spend whatever you would have spent buying these on wine and you will have a better experience it'll be cheap wine because these books are not that expensive but mm -hmm. it will still be a better experience but again still a better time yeah i guess that's midsomar <laughs> 2022 in, in a nutshell i'm any, trying any, to think of like a through line between this and the ari aster film and i can't think of one hmm. any, anybody <laughs> get sewn up into a bear or is that what happens i i've not seen that movie either i i <laughs> It's starting to sound like Swedish culture might not be for mics. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like Ari Oster could do a pretty good adaptation of one of these books by just like ratcheting up the scary torture porn. It's not a good beach read. No. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, just like I firmly believe that any book can be a beach read if you bring it to the beach, but don't bring this one to the beach. No, there are so many other better books you could bring to the beach. I feel like in the interest of completeness, I'm probably going to have to read the third one if for no other reason than to just screenshot it on Twitter and be like, oh my God, Martin Osterdahl, what have you done? I'm expecting the third book will involve Max trying to win Pashi back since she at the end of the second book has left him to track down survivors of the gulag in order to uh, learn about what happened to her father. There's a lot of unresolved father relationships throughout these books as well, mm -hmm. which I was, I was just kind of like enough, enough with the dads already. Just again, go to therapy and talk this out. Well, you'll definitely have to keep us posted on how that adventure turns out. Cause yikes. Uh <laughs> I look forward to engaging with the screenshots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I've set myself up now to take one for the Eurovision community by reading these books and going, ugh. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. Thank you for along your service. With, yes. Uh, but <laughs> along with your Twitter, is there anything else that you would like to plug? Um, I'd like to plug my website, dudepois.fun, where you can read my Eurovision musings, uh, which are often really thirsty and occasionally insightful. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion. I'm sorry that we made you read the Max Anger books. <laughs> Again, it's my own fault. I have been reading them and screenshotting them on Twitter to 
for no other reason to go, oh my god, this is a perfect example of men writing women and writing them horribly. I've been reading a lot of, of very interesting books lately, so it was nice to kind of take a break from something good with something awful to remind me how good the other books I've been reading have been. So that's a plus. It's like a reverse palate cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, like I mean, I have been just sort of like tearing through a bunch of other stuff in my to read list having read these. So I think it did sort of like get whatever like reading mojo back I needed. Yeah. Although I wouldn't recommend it for anybody else. Once again, we have taken one for the team. You don't need to do this. <laughs> Please stay far away from Ask No Mercy and 10 Swedes Must Die. This is not a place of honor. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me was like, oh, reading this will be like a fun way to sort of see like what, what's in Martin Osterdahl's head. I no longer need to ask this question. I shouldn't have asked this question in the first place. What was I doing? In a way, this is going to color every Eurovision from now on, because when he says you're good to go, I'm just going to be like, ew. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can follow the Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Euro What. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at EuroWhat on Twitter, or you can email EuroWhatPodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the EuroWhat, we'll be diving under the surface to plumb the depths of this year's Eurovision iceberg. 